0: Yeah.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower on this snowy spring daylight savings time day. You guys all get a gold star for being here. Um, We're so glad that you're worshiping with us here and online. If you will take a minute and sign the friendship register, we would appreciate that. Prayer cards can be found in the pew rack ahead of you. They will be collected today during the middle hymn. As you came in through the portico entrance and through the atrium, I hope that your hearts were filled with joy as you saw all of the artwork that greeted you. We have the privilege of being the last stop on the tour of Joel Tanis's artwork of his 40 Gospels that he has created. They will be with us through Easter. If you go into the parlor, the artwork that is in there are the pieces that the kids have been studying in Sunday school. The pieces in the chapel are those that we've been studying during midweek, and the ones in the atrium are all the others. They are um, beautiful and we're so thrilled to have them. If you're interested in purchasing a print, there is information out in the atrium as well. We are continuing to to collect items for Safe Haven's ministry through Easter. There are boxes to collect the items in the Narthex as well as by the church office. The items that we are collecting are in your bulletin and we're very thankful for your donations. I would now like to welcome Paul McMahon, our council treasurer, who will present this year's budget. He will be followed by our moderator, Susan Jones, who will talk about our church's bylaws and today's vote.
2: Good morning. That's an auspicious start here. Now for everyone's favorite topic, the budget. Uh, Good morning, my name is Paul McMahon, and it is my pleasure to serve as Mayflower's treasurer. This morning, I'd like to briefly walk you through the 2022 budget approved by Church Council. A copy of the budget can be found on the second-to-last page of this morning's bulletin. In addition, I will be available after service for any questions that you may have. The 2022 budget was prepared based upon current pledges received to date and estimated income from other sources on prior year's performance personnel expense is based on our current employee count, as well as positions we still need to fill. Our budget does include a senior pastor joining us in the second half of the year, which is a driver in personnel expense being up year over year. Other expense-wide items are estimates based on prior year performance, but include some small increases due to inflation and our church being fully open. Finally, from an expense standpoint, we have estimated outreach at 10% for the year, or $82,000. Overall, this results in a budget shortfall of $146,000. While discouraging, it is important to remember that last year we showed a budget shortfall of approximately $70,000 and ended the year with a profit of over $143,000 due to the generosity of members and our application for PPP funds, which were fully forgiven. This year, Christian Outreach will be able to donate approximately $135,000 to charities based upon the funds we raised last year, which is extraordinary. We have once again applied for governmental funds through an employee retention credit program, which could result in an additional $105,000 in revenue for the church in 2022. However, based on advice from our accountant, we have not included those funds in our budget due to uncertainty around timing of receipt. Please rest assured Council will continue to monitor our financial performance on a monthly basis to ensure we remain fiscally sound. In addition, I would ask that all members reconsider filling out a pledge card if you have not done so, and for those of you that have, please consider if you are able to increase your support to Mayflower. As Treasurer, I have always been amazed by the willingness of members to step up and help the Church. And I am asking that we do so once again to ensure that Mayflower is able to continue to offer all of the wonderful programs and support that it has through its history. With your help, we are hopeful to not only balance the budget, but increase outreach back to 15% by the end of the year. Thank you.
3: Thank you so much Paul. Paul is an incredible treasurer. He puts in so much time. He has so much background to be able to give us the best advice and I am very very grateful for his, his work for our church. So good morning everybody. Today is our third and final announcement about the discussion and vote on Mayflower's bylaws. Please remain in your seats after today's service and postlude for a brief congregational meeting. Thank you. going to touch this about today's music just a brief um, observation that we have a new prayer response that we're all singing that's printed in your bulletin it's a key for our lenten season lord have mercy christ have mercy by william matthias who is the author of the communion responses that we sing on the first sunday of each month Um, The two choir anthems, one is very familiar, the other one is a new piece, both picked uh, with the um, notion of devotion and Mary Magdalene's devotion to Jesus. And I hear uh, through the grapevine that Mary Magdalene will make an appearance in our pulpit this morning.
4: The road opens before us. We journey with Jesus to places unknown. He is headed for Jerusalem. He invites us to follow. Many will follow, including a woman named Mary. May her devotion inspire us. May we sing and praise God as we journey. God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God of creation, God of this day, be present as we
5: worship you.
0: Let us pray. O great mystery, O great love, speak to us in ways that we can understand in word, in reading, and in song. We are your people, Lord. Speak, for we are listening. Amen.
1: I'd like to invite all the children worshiping with us to come forward for the children's message. It is so nice to see all of you. All right, so this morning, I wore my running shoes because I want you guys to know how much I love running. Can I tell you a secret? I really don't. I don't. I have to get up early. It's dark. My bed is so warm, and it's cold out, and my body hurts, and my feet hurt, and it's hard to breathe, but then I get going. And my breath feels better and there's sometimes a bird singing and by the time I'm done I feel really good and I'm really glad that I went running and in the Bible there are a lot of things that God asks us to do that it feels icky when it starts but it's the right thing for us to do so it feels good in the end like when God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves sometimes our neighbors are not easy to love But then once we start filling our hearts with love, things are a lot easier in our lives. And then God asks us to tithe 10% of our allowance. 10%. That's less candy that we get to buy. But as we tithe, we see that God's goodness and his grace follows us everywhere we go. So when you guys start something hard that God's called you to do, know that we keep going and we feel good in the end. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for knowing that things are hard for us to start, but that they're good for us. And may you be with us as we go through these days. May we love others and may we be your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you are four years old and five years old, I'm going to have you stand up with me. And we are going to go with Mrs. Conway to Bible Beginnings. And then if you are first grade, second grade, third grade, and fourth grade, you're going to stand up. And we're going to go with Mrs. Weiner to Bible Alive. And then fifth graders and sixth graders are going to go with Mrs. Houlihan to the bridge. Awesome.
5: Good morning. There are two scripture readings this morning taken from the Gospels of Luke and John. For those of you who would like to follow along, the reading of Luke may be found on page 731 in your Pew Bible. We'll be reading chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. After this Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. Also, some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom the seven demons came out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Our next reading is from the book of John, chapter 20. Verses 11 through 18 and may be found on page 768. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb and crying. As she wept and bent over to look into the tomb, and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking that he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where have you put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out. The word of the Lord.
6: Well, I'm here today to share my story. Perhaps you'll find yourself in it. Great stories are like that, aren't they? We can identify parts of them in ourselves. Well, this is your invitation today because my story certainly is a remarkable one. I'm from a place called Magdala, or in Hebrew, Migdal. Magdala was a thriving fishing village along the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. When I say fishing village, I hope you understand that Magdala might not be huge, but it was a port city and a center of trade and commerce. The salted fish from Magdala was exported to markets as far away as Europe. I'm called Mary Magdalene because of my city of origin, but what I was known for in my early life were the demons. Yes, we called them demons in those days, a catch-all phrase for everything from the possession of a demonic spirit to all stripes of mental and physical health issues. My body had been taken over, hijacked by myriad illnesses of all kinds, repeatedly attacking me. The physical ailments gave way to mental ones, and vice versa. I found it hard to get through each day. My life became an endless nightmare with no dawn breaking. This term demons is hard for you, isn't it? Possessions and exorcisms were very common in my day. But for you, Hollywood has turned them into the stuff of horror horror films, hasn't it? But let me tell you, demons are real. They might take all kinds of forms, but do not underestimate them. It was not unusual to see people thrashing about in the streets or foaming at the mouth or seeing things that weren't there or speaking in voices not their own. Today, you might call these demons true evil spirits, but maybe their names like epilepsy or schizophrenia or PTSD. Perhaps those could be more accurate. Or maybe in this current day and age, things like addiction, greed, abuse, maybe those can be considered demons. Make no mistake, there are all kinds of demons that can dwell in us and create chaos and make our lives unbearable. All this to say, I was at a point in my life that it was becoming harder and harder to function. They said I had seven demons, but who's keeping count? They all blended into each other, and my own body became foreign to me. I didn't even recognize myself. I would face each day with trepidation and fear. Fear that I'd never be released from this bondage, that I would never be free. Well, then I heard about this most unusual rabbi. About 10 miles from my hometown, there was this holy man. He was healing people. Some said he was a prophet some went so far as to say he was the long-awaited messiah some said he was just crazy i didn't care if he was crazy i needed to see him for myself i was so desperate i would have gone anywhere into anyone who i thought could bring me an ounce of relief from my suffering i was at what you call rock bottom then i met jesus i met him i don't think i'm the only one who's met jesus at rock bottom I can't really, describe, <coughs> can't really describe what happened in words, but I'm going to try. I tracked Jesus down in a village near mine where he was teaching about the kingdom of God. I didn't look, smell, or sound very good. But he stopped mid-sentence and he turned around and he saw me. He didn't just look at me. He saw me. He saw right through me. Like he knew me. Like he knew everything about me. I intended to fall at his feet and plead for help, but he took my arm, and he lifted me up and he looked me right in the eye. i have never felt so much love, so much compassion, so much grace ever in my whole life. He drove those demons away with one word. He healed my broken body with just a simple touch, and I was free. I was actually free. I mean, maybe this is how people in financial peril who win the lottery feel or, or people who struggle with infertility and hold that, that healthy baby or people who are blind and they, they see. I, I don't know. It, at first there's a shock, and then you're so grateful. It just, the gratitude is like a wave. And then there's joy, pure Joy. I did not understand the phrase, nothing is impossible with God, until then. I became a believer on the spot. This rabbi is the Messiah. There's no other plausible explanation. I had indeed been on the receiving end of a miracle. I'd been touched by God, and my life would never be the same. Can you relate to this? Have you been healed, restored, forgiven? Have you ever been spared? Have you had a divine encounter with a living god? It's quite something, isn't it? This power. It'll change your life, won't it? Well, how on earth could I repay him for what he had done? What else could I do but dedicate my life to Jesus? So I did. I devoted myself to him. I don't know if you would have, you know, today considered me a wealthy woman, but but I had some means. So I joined the group that traveled with Jesus. There were some other women, and we funded this cause. You see, Jesus didn't have a job at this point. He was traveling the country, teaching about the kingdom. He was healing people. He was feeding the hungry. He was, he was playing with the kids. Man, the kids loved him. Everywhere he went, he was looking for the people on the margins. Those who were neglected, those who were forsaken, troubled, and misunderstood. He just gravitated toward them, and he listened so well. They felt seen and heard and loved. It was so exciting to be a part of this. I mean, seeing lives radically changed. But wow, did this make the powerful people angry. He kept upsetting the social order and poking at those uptight religious leaders. He was so much smarter than they were. That made him so mad. One of the criticisms Jesus faced was his inclusion of women. Like I said, there was quite a group of us that traveled with him and supported his ministry. His mother, of course, joined us when she was able. But the fact that women were included in his band of disciples, this ruffled some feathers. And if you think about how Jesus engaged with women, he did so in such a deep spiritual manner. Whether it was the woman at the well or the woman he healed from that that terrible hemorrhaging, there were just so many he encountered. And this was rare for a rabbi, to be so kind and caring of the women. Again, he was upsetting the social order, and boy, did this make some people mad. I'm sad to admit that this criticism has actually remained. This idea that Jesus did not give men preferential treatment in his ministry, boy, that continues to make some people upset. Many look at the 12 apostles, and they attest that, well, Jesus chose 12 men, so he must like men more. But, yeah, maybe there are 12 men named in the Bible, but there were so many of us women. Several of us are even named. I wonder how the Christian story would have been shaped if we women had been writing. We'd been the translators. We'd been the ones who'd selected the canon of Scripture. Ever thought about that? Clearly, the men in power over all these centuries have struggled with where to put us female disciples. But I'm going to give you an example of how I suffered, goodness, the most grievous injustice. And a pope did it. As you're probably aware, the Gospels mention several women named Mary. We've got Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've got Mary, the sister of Lazarus. We've got Mary, the wife of Cleopas. There's so many of us with the same name. This can get kind of confusing. But in the year 591, Pope Gregory, they called him Gregory the Great. He's not so great. He did something just terrible. Because of my close relationship with Jesus and the fear that word might get out that women are just as important as men in the kingdom of heaven, he gave a series of sermons I have yet to live down. He lumped a bunch of us Marys into one. He even included the unnamed woman who pours the perfume at Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair. He conjured up a sexual sinner in desperate need of repentance. In these sermons, he identified this conglomeration of women and gave them one name, mine, Mary Magdalene. He branded me a prostitute, a fallen woman, one who had repented and come to Jesus in shame. He had no right to do this. And since then, for centuries, I've been cast as such. From the famous Renaissance painters to Broadway musicals to best-selling novels, I've been inaccurately and unjustly labeled. Such a shame. Pope Gregory and his papal power, he was able to sideline me specifically, but really all women, to a category of sinful beings who Jesus took pity on, but couldn't include in his plan for Christian leadership. How this ugly rumor has endured is beyond me. Even in 1969, when Pope St. Paul and the Second Vatican reversed their teaching about me, they apologized. They admitted their mistake. But man, that 1,400 years of fake news, it had done its damage. These lies have endured. I even have my own feast day now, July 22. Yet the Da Vinci Code and Jesus Christ Superstar remain more popular. It's an interesting comment on human nature, isn't it? Why does this narrative about me being a repentant sinner, a fallen woman, a weaker vessel, why does this seem to work for people? Sexualizing me and creating all these lies. Do we all choose the narrative that fits our worldview and then any deviation from this is excused? Do we ask enough questions? Bless the historian Jane Schaeberg. She actually coined the term harlotization to describe my negative makeover. She calls this a process of disempowerment for a powerful leader in the faith. Jane Schaeberg refers to me as a powerful leader in the faith. She's right. I was. I am. Interestingly enough, there's overwhelming evidence in your very own scripture that I was one of Jesus' closest disciples. I'm even credited with the writings found in a Cairo bazaar in 1896. Written in Coptic on leather, this document is called the Gospel of Mary. This writing, like the other ancient papyrus found in 1945 in Egypt, they're considered apocryphal, texts that don't, for whatever reason, conform to the writings that compile what we consider the Holy Scripture. These writings include all the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, the Acts of Peter. None of these are included in the Bible. Yeah, maybe they shouldn't be. Who am I to say? Many think that the Gospel of Mary is too metaphysical in nature, too out there, as far as the ideas about how we are first and foremost spiritual beings and we're interconnected with God and with each other. I'm convinced, after spending so much time with Jesus, that his message is right. The kingdom of God is here and now. It's all around us. In my gospel, I share a vision from the Lord. But the other disciples don't really get it. They're too literal. They become upset. Maybe they're jealous. Who knows? They wondered, how could I have such a special relationship with God? It seems that we loop around back to the fact that I was truly one of Jesus' closest disciples. The spiritual alignment that Jesus taught just resonated with me so deeply. Some of the male apostles couldn't fathom this. (laughs) They resented my insight, which is too bad. But really, what I want to leave you with today more than anything is not just my narrative, but how Jesus changed everything forever. I was there with Jesus in his life, I was there at his crucifixion, I was there to witness his resurrection. I was there. I can attest to the greatest story ever told. But it had to get really bad first. The other women and I watched in terror that last day as they interrogated Jesus. They lied about him. They whipped him. They took him away. Oh, we hovered near the gate to Caiaphas' house, knowing Jesus was in there and knowing nothing good was happening to him. The air was thick with premonition and doom. I felt sick to my stomach. The injustice made me so angry I thought I would burst. But my apprehension settled like a heavy weight. I thought I'd be pummeled just to the earth. When it became clear that they intended to crucify him, we just wailed. We clung to each other. We wept until we didn't have any more tears. We tried to follow as Jesus was forced to carry his cross. But the path was so crowded, the spectacle of another gruesome public killing somehow brought people out of the woodwork. What do you call them? Rubberneckers? People who can't take their eyes off tragedy. They kept coming. And the jerks who shouted insults at my Savior, they didn't know what they were saying. They had no idea who they were mocking. It just made my blood boil. And it's true. They killed him in the most brutal fashion The Romans had mastered the art of killing people. They were merciless and vicious. There's no other way to state this. It was just horrible. We women watched him breathe, his last breath. We stayed until the very end. And we stayed even longer. We were there when the body was taken down. And we wept some more. All the men had left. The apostles had scattered. And poor Mary... I know it was her son, and to watch what they did to him. Oh, no mother should ever see that. And for me, Jesus was my Messiah, my deliverer, my healer. How could he be gone? He made so many promises about this new kingdom. What were we supposed to do now? I just felt so bereft. Perhaps you felt this in your life, too. The finality of death is devastating. The vast chasm that opens up threatens to swallow you whole and never release you. I know this feeling. It scoops your insides out like a claw, leaving them raw and tender. So painful. The next day was the Sabbath, so we stayed inside, close to each other. We were so scared. We were so tired. Just wiped right out. It was an eerie day. The next morning, I decided to go to the tomb I felt so useless and so helpless, but I had these spices. I had the myrrh and I had the aloe, and it felt like something I could do, you know, to take the burial preparations to the tomb. When his body wasn't there in the tomb and these men were there, I guess they were angels, I don't know, they addressed me to say he was gone. (laughs) Oh, I was terrified and angry. I shed bitter tears. Why is this happening? Isn't it enough they crucified him? Now they've taken him away and we can't even bury him properly? Well, you know this part of the story. I was overwhelmed and so confused. I thought Jesus was the gardener. But when he said my name, I knew. It was like the day he healed me. He looked into my eyes and he saw me. When I realized it was him, I screamed, Rabboni! I couldn't believe it. He was alive. He told me not to cling to him, but that's exactly what I wanted to do to give him the biggest hug ever. But instead, he told me, Go tell the others I'm not dead. I ran. I ran so fast to tell them. And when I found them, I uttered the five most powerful words in all of Scripture I have seen the Lord. See, death does not have the last word. For him or for us? I was the first witness of this, but I will not be the last. Have you seen the risen Lord? I sure hope so.
0: This church does so much. This church gives so much. This church means so much. This is our spiritual home. This is the place, one of the places, where we can see the risen Jesus. Let us continue worshiping with our tithes and offerings. Let us pray, O Holy One, we long to worship you in spirit and truth, and part of that is with our time, part of that is with our talents, part of that is with monetary offerings. Bless these offerings and put them to work for your cause. This we ask in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Please be seated.
4: Let us continue to worship as we come to God in prayer. Spirit of God, loving and holy. Let our prayers today be for others, for their needs, their struggles, for your merciful intercession. Help us see how we may be used by you as instruments of care and grace. And as a people living in the comfort of this place this day, We pray especially for the people of Ukraine. We pray for peace and the laying down of weapons. We pray for those who fear for tomorrow. We pray that your spirit of comfort would draw near to them. We pray for those with power over war or peace. For wisdom, discernment, and compassion to guide their decisions. Above all, we pray for all your precious children at risk and in fear that you would hold and protect them. We pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And Lord, we pray for this church and for its people for requests that have come this morning for a young woman who has passed away after a struggle with postpartum depression. Lord, have mercy. Lord, bring comfort. We rejoice in the report of a son-in-law who is declared cancer-free. We thank you, Lord. Lord. For your grace. For each of us, for all of us together, Lord, we say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
6: As we announced earlier, you are welcome to just stay in your seat. The postlude will be very short. If you need to exit, please do so swiftly. Those of you who are staying for the meeting, the church meeting right afterward, please do so. As a benediction, may you experience deliverance that leads to devotion. May this devotion lead you to unexpected places of spiritual growth. And as you grow, may you see the risen Christ in all things, and may you never be the same again. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
3: Thank you for staying for our congregational meeting. The ushers are passing out a couple of pieces of paper for you. One of them is a paper ballot, and one of them is some additional amendments that we would like to share with you this morning. I'm very grateful to the bylaws committee, three of whom are sitting right here, and our fourth member is Chris Wilson, and she's one of our ushers handing out the materials. They met multiple times over the past months to craft bylaws revisions that are in keeping with both past practice and current needs of our church. Committee members are Phil Idema, Chris Wilson, Harold Montgomery, and Bob Skilton. Council approved the bylaws submitted by the committee, adding a few helpful changes. Then the document was mailed to all members for their review. We're extremely grateful for the diligence of many in our congregation who read the bylaws with care and made some important suggestions that improved clarity and removed ambiguity. The bylaws committee met Thursday, and the results of that meeting are in your hands, or soon will be, a set of additional amendments based on the congregation's suggestions. I will go through these amendments briefly, along with the questions and answers on the second page. So here are the amendments. I think pretty much everyone has them now. In a few places, the term active adult members is shown as adult active members. We want to change that to active adult members in each case. Second, Article 5, Section 4, the proposed language at the end reads, an associate member may serve on a church committee and or hold office upon approval of the senior pastor and the moderator. The committee agrees that allowing associate members to hold office is inappropriate. The revised suggested language uh, scratches out or, or blocks out "and/or hold office." So associate members must be approved by senior pastor and moderator. They may serve on a church committee, but uh, they may not hold office. Next, in several places, the senior pastor is called "quote the member." And in these revised bylaws, this will be clarified by naming this individual as senior pastor at each usage. And by the same token, in several places, the moderator is called the member. This will be clarified by naming this individual as the moderator at each usage. Next, Article 8, Section 5. The way it's written, it may appear that the Pastoral Search Committee is an ongoing committee. To clarify this, we will add the phrase, when it exists after the statement that the Pastoral Search Committee is nominated by the Nominating Committee. And one grammatical edit, edit, Article 5, Section 11E Change Indicates to Indicate for Grammatical Correctness. A few questions that came up from our uh, very diligent members who asked these questions. How many classes of members do we have? We have three, active, associate, and inactive. Active um, I'm sorry, where am I here? Active adult members are those 18 and over. This is the classification under the category of active members. In other words, those under 18 uh, cannot hold office or make official votes. Question, why would the word Christian be deleted when describing the types of organizations the church may cooperate with? This allows for us to cooperate with organizations that are secular but that have – projects that we would like to contribute to a great example is the grand rapids public schools it also allows for us to work in interfaith uh, manner question may an associate member serve on council council is not a church committee it's something separate associate members may only serve on a committee not on council question is there a youth committee currently there is a youth committee the list of committees in the bylaws is not exhaustive Council determines the committees that are needed and, according to the bylaws, may constitute other committees as needed. Why did you eliminate he or she in favor of gender neutral language? This was suggested at the council level and agreed upon unanimously by council. It has become standard for employee handbooks and other official documents per the attorneys on the bylaws committee. And those are the questions and answers. So, do I have any further questions, comments from the congregation? If not, I would like to entertain a motion to accept the amendments that I have just read. Do I have a second? Rachel, thank you. Any further discussion? All those in favor of accepting the amendments as read, please say aye. aye. Opposed? Thank you. All right, so um, I'll now entertain a motion to use the paper, I'm sorry, we'll now use the paper ballots to vote on the bylaws. However, I would like to entertain a motion just to get the sense of the group. I will tell you that we have about 50 um, absentee bylaws and they are all, yay, they're all saying yes to the bylaws. Any further questions on the bylaws as a whole okay if not um, could I have a motion to accept the bylaws I'm going to ask you to do the paper ballots but I would just like to hear the sense of the group can I have a motion again gentlemen to or someone to yes sir dr. Lovell thank you and a second Greg thank you um, all those in favor of accepting the body of the bylaws as amended today, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? All right. Thank you very much. This concludes the meeting, but if you would be kind enough to mark your paper ballots so that we have them for the record and the ushers will collect those as you leave. Thank you very much and have a wonderful afternoon.